My daddy may now make an announcement. Yeah, I'm, I'm back. I mean, I'm back, but I'm back. You are listening to The Bitterest Pill. It's another episode of The Bitterest Pill, and yet... It, it, is it really? You are listening to The Bitterest Pill. Hey, welcome to The Bitterest Pill. It's me, Dan Class. I'm in my garage under the flight path at Los Angeles International Airport. You know, it's a beautiful, as I record this, I got to tell you, it's a beautiful Sunday afternoon here in Los Angeles. And what better way to spend a beautiful, sunny, clear, spotless afternoon, but locked in a windowless box in your garage, talking to yourself. Somebody doesn't really know how to live. And that's me. Uh, how, how are you? I sound chipper, which is good, right? Um, we got a few things to talk about. Uh, okay, so for, first, and I don't want to get into this too much, but I'm pretty sure I messed up our health insurance. In that we, so we have health insurance through my job, as hopefully many Americans, not all Americans, but many Americans do. They take a hunk out of my paycheck every whatever pay period, and then uh, we get health insurance, which is awesome because it gives us something to complain about. It gives us someone to be on the phone with three times a week, endlessly on hold. Thank God for the American healthcare system. So my wife and I, Melissa, to whom I am still married, um, we wanted to save a little money. So we looked at the insurance and we decided to change to a quote unquote cheaper plan. Now, when we first enrolled, you know, you, you know, you go, it's open enrollment, you go, and that's the only time you're allowed to do it is open enrollment. You're allowed to change your thing or get into your thing or whatever your thing, right, is that you do for your health insurance. So when I first got into it, I put together a spreadsheet and I compared this plan and that plan. I did all this homework. It went weekend after weekend of just go grinding these stupid papers. So I was under the, and I'm going to throw Melissa under the bus here because she's not listening. When, the, when, when time came around this year for open enrollment and we could change the plan and we in quotes, wanted to save some money, we decided that we would change plans. Now, she would say that I knew what we were doing, and I would say I kept saying, really, do we have to change? Because <laughs> I did all that homework. But we're always looking for ways to save some money, right? So now we're on a cheaper plan, which means they take less out of my paycheck every pay period, but I'm pretty sure we're going to spend thousands and thousands of more dollars a year but I still, I've had my own health insurance now, right? For how, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years? I don't know how long it's been. It's been a long time. Since the 80s or 90s, I've had my own insurance. I still, I got to tell you something. I still don't understand what a copayment is compared to coinsurance. Because that's what happens is you, you call them up on the phone. And you have questions and concerns and they have all the answers, but they keep using words that I should understand that I don't understand. Like your individual deductible, your family deductible, your out-of-pocket maximum. 
Now, your out-of-pocket maximum, I, I think, is what it sounds like. That it's the maximum you can pay out of your pocket, but I'm not sure because God knows you never hit that. But I have a feeling that we're going to spend a kajillion more dollars this year because we're saving money. Really what it is, is when you're young, and this is no diss on my wife. This is a, no, this is a diss on me or how my wife and I decided to be a couple. But I, I am of the opinion now that when you are young and you're considering suitors, if you're not a person that understands things like money and insurance and auto repair, you should marry someone who does understand things like money and insurance and auto repair. Because no matter what, whether you settle down or not, whether whoever you settle down with, whatever happens, you're going to go through life and you're going to have to uh, right, understand money and insurance and auto repair. I, I wish I had studied auto shop in high school. I don't know what I was doing in high school in drama club or whatever I wasn't, I was right. But I could have just as an elective, instead of taking one of those art courses, could have taken auto shop. You know how much money I'd be saving on auto repairs? So at the end of this year, I'll let you know how much money we saved. I have a feeling it's going to be thousands and thousands of dollars in not savings. In payments, in, in, in co, co-insurance. Co-insurance, I think, is what it's called. Because basically, right, is that how it works? You have to pay the co-insurance until you reach the deductible, and then you have a co-payment of X percent based on the approval rate, which is not the approved rate of who you go to because you go to somebody in Beverly Hills, and these rates are made for people that live in Michigan. Or in my case, literally Illinois, but you understand what I'm saying. Why does it being an adult have to stink so much? Why can't we just hang out? Like when we're not at work, why can't we just be at home and watch Netflix, look at our phone, go out to dinner? Why can't? Because social media would have you think that that's what normal people do. And maybe you all are doing that. Maybe you all are doing that. And it's only Melissa and myself that spend every weekend repairing something or calling someone because we have, it needs to be explained or fixed or undone or redone. I just hope every day, and I mean this literally, that you are living better than I am living. And I don't mean that you're wealthier than I, although I hope that too, but I just hope that you're doing a better job of living your life because I spent too much time in misery on hold, on hold or on my knees trying to fix something. We'll get into that later. I don't want to talk about it now. I need to relax for a second and then we'll talk about repairing something. So what I do as a coping mechanism is I get into things, you know, like become interested in something and it's probably ADHD fueled, right? I need that, whatever it is, dopamine punch or whatever. I don't know. I, I don't remember if it's dopamine or serotonin or endorphins. I don't care what it is. I just know that 
right? That's how I got into podcasting is I got into it. You know what I mean? It was like, ooh, this is something new that I could leverage for my ego and it would keep me busy and I could be learning about this for a long time and I did and that's how I ended up making these stupid recordings. Well, now all anyone ever talks about is artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence and whether it's artificially intelligence, you know, words or images or music or blog posts or social posts, we're all going to be out of a job, God knows, because of chat GPT and all this other stuff. Right, because I make my living not podcasting. I make my living um, like you know, doing basically a 20-somethings job where I write social posts and blog posts and emails and I send them out and I schedule them and I send some more out and all that kind of stuff. And all that's going to probably go away and be given to the robots. Or at least that's what I thought a couple of weeks ago when I first heard about chat GPT. And I keep calling it GBT. Can you tell? I don't know what GPT even stands for. Do you know what it stands for? No one has said. And I was going to look it up and then I I was going to ask chat GPT and I couldn't get in because too many people were using it to write their homework assignments, I, I guess. I don't know. So I got really worried because I figured, oh, my God, you know what I mean? Like uh, people start using the AI to do my job. What do they need me for? Oh, well, I did a little research, my friend. Because if you can't beat them, you got to join them. Okay. So what I did is I looked at chat GPT to see if I could leverage the power of GPT, chat GPT, PGG, Eskimo, E-I-E-I-O, to do whatever. I wanted to see if it could take my job or take my whatever, anything. So what I did, I, I went to GPT, chat, I gotta, listen, I went to chat GPT. It's become a tongue twister. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. I went to the thing. I'm just going to call it the thing for a couple of minutes because I don't want to say that again. I went to the stupid thing, the AI word thing. And I said, I typed in, hey, AI word thing, tell me a funny story. And this is the story that it told me. So a man walks into a bar and he sees a horse sitting at the bar drinking a beer. And he does a double take and he rolls his eyes, but the horse is still there. So the man approaches the bartender and asks, is that a horse at the bar? The bartender nonchalantly replies, yep, he's been coming here for years. Now the man can't believe it. And he asks the horse, hey, can I buy you a drink? The horse responds, no, thanks. I already have one. The man is amazed and asks the horse, can I ask you a question? The horse answers, sure, go ahead. The man asks, how does a horse like you? come to be sitting in a bar drinking a beer. The horse looks at the man and says, it's a long story, but the short of it is that I was a house horse for a rich family, but they didn't treat me well. I got fed up and ran away. I've been living on my own ever since, and I've learned how to do a lot of things that horses don't normally do, like using money and going to bars. I like my freedom, and I never look back. The man is speechless, 
and the horse finishes his beer and walks out of the bar. The end. That that was the that's the funny story. You see? <laughs> because the horse, see, the horse used to live in a house with a family that didn't treat it well. And so it learned how to use money and go to bars, apparently. You don't think that's a funny story? I think that's not a funny story either. It has, <laughs> it's almost a metaphor, right? Maybe, maybe Chad GPT is so intelligent that it wrote me like a meta joke, like a meta story, like a post humor, humorous story where the horse explains how a horse would actually come to be sitting drinking at a bar because he was abused. But while he was being abused, he learned how to speak and, and use currency. So at the very least, I think my position as a podcaster might be somewhat safe. It's not particular. I mean, this exact chair isn't exactly the most coveted thing, but you, you, you get the idea. And I, I become fascinated by artificially intelligent AI generated images. And I'm sure you've seen what I'm talking about, but I keep seeing these images that are like Batman, if it had been shot by Wes Anderson that kind of thing or movie stills from movies that don't exist, but they look really real, but kind of trippy, kind of dreamlike, but kind of awesome. You know what I'm talking about? So AI images are everywhere or if they don't seem like they're everywhere to you they're Trust me, they're going to be everywhere. So co completely coincidentally, I was going to start doing some research because I kept seeing all these cool images on somewhere, Instagram or I don't know where, probably during my TikTok fixations. And um, I was texting with my friend Brom. And Brom, and I it was, you know, hey, how are you doing? He was making sure that we weren't drowning, basically, in the in the weather. So I happened to mention that I'd started back up on the podcast and he listened to the first one, and then he sent me these AI images of me fighting a raccoon. Do you understand what I'm saying? Me fighting a rabid raccoon, like from the story from the podcast, but there it is in living color. And it doesn't look creepy. It looks awesome. Now, what really trips me up about these images is that they don't, I, I don't know how to use the term, but have you ever heard the term uncanny valley? They don't fall, if this is the way you explain it, they don't fall into uncanny valley. Now, I did ask ChatGPT to explain uncanny valley for me. Ready? So the uncanny valley is the phenomenon in which a computer-generated figure or robot resembling a human 
a human being elicits a sense of unease or revulsion in the viewer. The theory suggests that as the appearance uh, becomes more human, our perception of it becomes increasingly positive and to a point. And then we become disgusted by this thing. And you've seen this like the bad CGI and uh, that they did for the rock in that movie. What was that movie? The mummy or something. But you've seen like bad CGI where you're like, that's gross. Like this Tom Hanks Christmas movie that you should not be watching. Like that thing. These images are not like that. These images are awesome. They look. Now, the images that Brahm sent me, they don't look exactly like me, but they looked close enough. And then he sent me a bunch of others that it looked like some actor was playing me. You know what I mean? It was like they had a casting call for bald guys with glasses and a bunch of dudes showed up and then they had to fight a raccoon. See who looked most like me fighting a raccoon, I guess. So I had him explain it to me. You go to this thing called Mid Journey and it it's a they put the bot on Discord. I don't know what the hell Discord is, so I had to sign up to Discord. And then you have to put in a prompt to tell it what you want. So he sent me the prompt. He sent me the prompt exactly what he put in. He what he did too is he put URLs to two photographs of me so it would know what I look like. Which is how he got these awesome pictures of me fighting a raccoon. But because it's me, when I go to Midjourney and I go to Discord and I type in backslash imagine and I paste in literally the exact prompt, I get a picture of me as a raccoon fighting nothing. Like a creepy, creepy, beady-eyed Dan the Raccoon. Midjourney hates me. I don't know what it is. I've seen people put prompts into that thing that are just like the most vague, like sunny day. And they get the most amazing <laughs> results. And I craft this prompt for 13 hours. I'm stealing snippets of prompts from other people. And I put it in and I'm waiting for my results. And it comes out bleh, like crap. Like crap or just like not what I wanted at all. So I figured, well, maybe it's vanity. Maybe it's because I keep trying to get an image that looks like myself. Maybe there's some spiritual thing going on where Midjourney's like, nah, uh, uh, this is not going to be useful for you, Dan, for promoting your podcast. This is just a thing that you can do. It's possible. So I said, okay, Midjourney, I'm going to give you a picture of my son. He's young. He's handsome. He's not me. He's not bald. He doesn't wear glasses. He's just a good looking kid with hair. Because I wanted to see what it would do with his picture. And you know what? It did, Because it's me putting in the prompt. It, it doesn't look like him at all. He looks, well, he looks anorexic. His hair's all disheveled. It's just crazy. So it's very, so I, listen, I applaud anyone that can use Midger. And I, listen, I've got a couple images that look great. Not of myself. Maybe one of myself that looks like passable. But mostly, they're images where I get frustrated and then I'm like, all right, um, give me a beautiful woman on a hilltop in the style of Frank, Franz uh, Frank Frazetta. 
and it will give me the perfect 1970s heavy metal magazine cover. That it will give me. But any person where I'm trying to shove a real human in there, no, it does not work for me. But what happens is they get you can do, I think it's like 25 renders for free, and then you have to pay. And as you can imagine, I blew through 25 renders in no time trying to make myself fight a raccoon. Right? I wanted to I wanted to make actually it was a possum. I wanted to make myself fighting a possum because I already had a raccoon. Brahm sent me a raccoon. I wanted a possum to see if I could replicate his excellent. Results, no, I, I no, it didn't work. So then I heard about this other thing, like a future competitor of Midjourney called Blue Willow, but it's free. So I'm like, that's my kind of AI. Free AI is my favorite kind. So I go on to, now Blue Willow is set up almost exactly like Midjourney. Same Discord, same prompts, same this, same thing, except the difference is two things. Number one, Blue Willow is free. And number two, Blue Willow is kind of shitty. Like it's the worst. It's not good. It's versions behind mid journey. I put in a picture of myself and it spit out a 75 year old black man. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I don't know how, how I is the AI really? It's pretty I, but sometimes it's really not very I at all. So, because what, what artificial intelligence will never be able to do is come to my house and fix my washer and my dryer. And that's what I've spent, that's what I was doing last weekend when I wasn't recording. And that's what I'm doing, I did already this weekend. And probably the weekend before the weekend before this one, I was fixing either the washer or the dryer. So we're, you know, we're homeowning Americans. We have a washer and a dryer. You would, they're very simple contraptions. First of all, because we buy the cheapest ones we can find. Which means they're not particularly complicated. And so they, they've done well, but they're having trouble now. So the washer, listen, all I need the washer to do is fill with water, agitate, drain. Fill with clean water, agitate, drain, spin, stop. That's it. That's all it needs to do. But week after week, it kept doing this thing where it would, I think, I think, okay, I think, would spin and then become unbalanced and then go berserk. And it would start walking across the room. It's walking across the room and then it would stop and then it would just stop. And then I go to get the clothes out and they're soaked and they clearly, you can tell they haven't been spinning because they're not up against the sides of the thing. They're just in there and they're wet. And what do you do with a washer full of wet stuff that didn't spin? So what I would do is I turn my knob from normal wash. There's a setting that is drain and spin. Perfect. 
That's really all I needed to do is drain and spin. So I put it on drain and spin and I push the little button to get it going. And what does it do? It fills with water and begins agitating. It fills with water, becomes, it, right? It's agitating and then it drains and then it fills again. And then I don't know what happens because by then I'm not paying attention anymore, but it does not spin. Now, I don't know what people did before YouTube. I assume you just automatically called a repair guy that you knew intimately because there was no YouTube and you had to call him all the freaking time. So I go onto YouTube and I look up, you know, my, my washer is not spinning. And the only thing I can figure out is I, what, what I have to do is I have to reset the motor. Now, to reset the motor, you'd think that there would just be like a button, maybe a button on the back like a computer. You just press it and hold it, and then it goes, dong, something like that. No, 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 because this is a washing machine, a washing machine that was conceived of in, I don't know, the 1920s. I don't know when we started using washing machines, but <laughs> it's so ridiculous. So to reset the motor... Apparently, the motor is small, smart enough to need to be reset, which, I, honestly, I was kind of impressed by that. Because it doesn't, like, this machine does not have an LED panel or anything. It just has buttons, knobs, and a few little lights. So what I have to do is go through this very orchestrated little seance of maneuvers to reset the motor. So I go out the back door. I go to the circuit breaker. I turn off the circuit breaker for 10 seconds. No, 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 no. I'm getting this wrong for a minute. Okay. This, it, it, you can't get this wrong. You can't get this wrong. You turn off the circuit breaker for one minute. Then you have something like 10 seconds to go back to the machine and open and close the door of the machine six times in 12 seconds. Okay. So again, no power for a minute. Then you turn the power back on. You run back in the house. You have 10 seconds to start opening and closing the thing six times in 12 seconds. So I do that. I do that. I go out. I turn it off. I wait. I turn it on. I go back in. I run back in. One, two, three, four, five, six. Nothing, no, no beeping, no nothing. I could have, uh, who knows if this worked. So I turn the dial, it's on. I turn the dial around to drain and spin. Because again, that's all I really needed to do is drain and spin. The little light lights up next to the thing that says spin. Perfect. I push start and it begins filling with water. So I do this a couple of times. Eventually, it may or may not work. So last weekend, it did not work. So I had to, and I've done this a couple of times, I had to find the error codes. 
So this is another thing where you have to go outside, turn the machine off for a minute, turn it back on, go in, hold the start button, then you turn the dial seven times. Where do they get these numbers? I have no idea. Why six times with the lid, seven times with the dial? I have no idea. You push the thing, you hold it, you turn the dial dee, 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 seven times, and now you're in error code mode or some sort of administrative mode of this janky washing machine. But if you do that doo -doo -doo -doo, seven times, it goes into this mode and then you turn it one more time and then you get to see the error codes. And the error codes are this Morris code of BS, like basically there's seven lights and some of them will be on and some of them will be off. And you just look to see which are on and off and then you match that to the Morris code code in the code breaking sheet that you have to look up on the internet. I wish I had, I don't have the list in front of me, the, the fault code. I had like 10 fault codes. Spin error due to uneven load. Mismatch of the switch selector switch. Yeah, like I know that. I know it's miss, it's a uneven load. And I know that when I put it on drain and spin that it's washing, I just don't know how to get it to drain and spin. So I go through all this. I get the 10 codes or however many codes they were. I write them all down. Then I have to look up in a, on a different sheet what all the codes mean, right? So dot, dot, dash, dot, dot, that's 27. 27 means uneven load, uh, missed uh, time the thing or whatever, right? So now I have a list of Morse code, a list of numbers, and a list of what the numbers mean, and no idea how to fix any of these things. And I start YouTubing these things, and I'm really not finding anything. So I go back to the just I'm frustrated. I go back to the washing machine. I spin the little dial around. I put it on drain and spin. I push pause. And it drains and spins. Now, why didn't anyone just say, listen, if you look at the error codes, don't worry, that resets everything. That does what you expect it to do when you lift the lid six times after turning it on and off. The, all you got to do, just look. If you, tell you what, if you, here's the agreement, if you look at the error codes, we'll reset the motor. It's not a big deal. You just have to seem like you're a willing participant in this process and we got you covered. Don't worry. But what would happen is I would put a load of uh, towels in the washing machine while I was sorting the other laundry. Because it's super easy to just pull out the towels and shove them in the wash. So that's what I would do. I would put the towels in and I would get them going. And then I would sort the laundry, but I would apparently put too many towels in and it would become uneven and then it would break everything. Then I would finally get the towels to spin enough to put into the dryer. But now it's too many <laughs> towels for the dryer. So now the belt of the dryer breaks. 
right? It's getting hot, but it's not spinning. And this happens, you know, once every six months or so. Does it take me years to figure out that, you know, Dan, what you should do when you order the replacement belt, order two. That way, when the first one breaks, you'll already have the replacement and you won't have to wait a couple of days for it to come and then to the next weekend with no laundry, et cetera, et cetera. So, so the drum is not turning. I order the belt. And I'm old hat at the belt thing by now. The belt thing, you just have to, <clears throat> you have to lift up the top of the dryer. You undo a couple bolts and a little thing that is kind of the electricity for the door, the switch on the door. And you pull the whole front off the dryer. And inside the dryer, it really, it has, is like 1948 in there. Nothing has evolved since the first time they designed this particular brand. It's just a drum and some fire and a wheel on a motor. And the wheel on the motor turns the belt that turns the drum while the fire heats the air. That's it. That's it. So normally uh, what I do is, you know, you... You have to put the belt on and then you have to feed it through this pulley thing and then around where it goes around and around and around and around. You understand what I'm saying? Like the part where it goes around the sprocket for lack of a better. It's not really a sprocket because it's a belt and not a chain. But you understand what I'm saying? It's the thing where the belt goes on the motor. So I do that. It goes pretty well, actually, because I've done it six times by now. I put the whole thing back. I, now, listen, I almost kill myself every time I put the front back on. I don't know what it is. It's, it's such a simple design that it's really super easy to cut your feet off when you're putting the thing back on. Because I've basically the drum is held in place by the front. Like it doesn't <laughs> like it's not secure at all. It just flops until you put the front on. And the front is only held on by these little clips near the bottom, and then you you kind of screw it on on the top. So I do all that. And before I put the hatch down, I decide, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna I'm gonna look. I'm gonna start the dryer. And I'm gonna look and make sure that the drum is spinning. Make sure everything's gonna work before I put the whole thing back together. So I turn it on and I press start and it starts to very slowly turn in a very slow revolution. And I'm like, well, a really slow revolution is better than a really no revolution. I can work with a really slow revolution, I just am not convinced that this is going to stay fixed. This belt could break at any moment. Like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm desperate because we need to finish the laundry. So I say, F it. And I put the whole thing back together and I put some clothes in there. And I turn it on and I figure I'm going to listen and see if it breaks. 
And if it breaks, I'll just put the other belt on and see what happens. Maybe then I don't care. Okay, I don't care. I'm sick of being a handyman and I don't even care. So I turn it on and I listen and it sounds perfectly normal. The drum, I can hear the drum drumming and spinning, spinning around, round, around, around. I'm like, great. I go in the other room and I wait for the clothes to dry. And eventually the thing goes off and I go and I open up the dryer and the clothes are not dry. They're half dry. But what I mean is they're not 50% dry of the total dryness. What I mean is half of each garment is dry and the other half of the garment is wet. Okay? So they're not half wet, half dry. They're literally half wet, half dry. So I don't know what's going on. I have never seen this before in my entire adult life. I I take the clothes out of there. I look at them. They're literally right half and half. I shake them out because they look a little bunched up. And I throw them back in there and I turn it back on. I listen and the drum is drumming. The drum is spinning. But I don't know what's going on. How do you dry half a shirt in a dryer? It doesn't make any sense. So I wait, I wait and wait and wait. And then the dryer eventually stops. And I open it up and the clothes are still in there, obviously. And they're still half wet, half dry. What the hell? So I pop open the top. And I turn the knob and I push the button and the drum goes. And you remember how the drum was going really super slow? Well, it's not going super slow. It's going super fast. I don't know what has happened, but it is going faster than I've ever seen it go. It is go, 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 around, 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 around. So I realize the clothes are not getting dry because this is how a dryer works. It spins, but it spins at a very specific speed. So the clothing right? The clothing gets picked up by those thingies in there. And then when they get to the top, they fall and they fall through the hot air blowing in the dryer. But what if the dryer is spinning so fast that centrifugal force is keeping the clothes (laughs) pressed up against the sides of the drum? So the only part of the clothing getting any hot air is the outside, but the inside is always on the inside and it's going around and around and around like it's in some sort of tilt-a-whirl at the fair. Okay, at least now I know what's going on and what's wrong now. Because it's, it's always something. So now what's wrong is that it's going too fast. So back to YouTube and there's only one video about this on YouTube that I could find, but thank goodness the guy nails it. He's like, yeah, it's just this little part. You know, the part that I called a sprocket, odds are good that your little sprocket thing that goes on in there, your pulley something, something, I don't know, is broken. So you need to replace that. And I'm like, great. I think I've seen how you do this. You open the thing up. You have to stick a screwdriver in the motor so you can undo the other part of the motor. And you're like, okay. 
So I ordered the part. It takes two days to get here, but two days is in the middle of the week, and I'm not doing it in the middle of the week. I'm too tired when I get home. I can't. So I did it yesterday on a Saturday. So I open up again the dryer, carefully not cutting my feet with the front of it, and I put that in the bathroom, the front, and I take the drum all the way out this time belt the drum the pulley everything just out because i got to replace this sprocket thing now i rewatched the video and the guy in the video didn't i was misremembering he didn't shove a screwdriver in the motor he just used a pair of pliers and a crescent wrench and i thought great i've got a pair of pliers and i've got a crescent wrench now yeah, the crescent wrench is from Ikea. It's not the greatest crescent wrench. Not exactly uh, state-of-the-art. So I go look for my crescent wrench, and I go look for pliers. I find them. I find two crescent wrenches, actually. I've got my Ikea crescent wrench and a better one, like a Craftsman or something. Great. So I get down on my knees, and I adjust the crescent wrench so we can hold this thing still while with the pliers, I unscrew the sprocket thing. Great. Comes right off. It is broken. It is broken. It's exactly what the guy said. So I take the front of it off, and then I take the back of it off because it's in two pieces now. I'm so happy. This is, by the way, this is going so smoothly. I get the new one. I put it on, hand tighten it. This is going great. I get the pliers. I tighten it up a little bit, right? This is great. And I let go with the pliers and I cannot get the crescent wrench off of the motor. I cannot. How does this happen? Why? When has this ever? I cannot get the crescent wrench to let go of the motor thingy that sticks out of the motor that the sprocket thing goes on, I can't get it off. I try shaking it. I try pulling it. I try loosening it. I try tightening it. It will not stinking budge. So I try again. I try to wiggle it. I try to pull it. I try to tighten it. I try to loosen it. I try everything. I go get some WD-40. I put WD-40 in it, on it, around it, under it. I don't care. I'm soaking the whole place in WD-40 because something's got to work. I had to take the sprocket thing off there because I was afraid I was going to break it. So I take the sprocket thing off, the thing that is supposed to be going on. I take that off. I literally have to stand Inside the dryer. Okay, so my fat body is holding the dryer on the floor and pull up on the crescent wrench as hard as I can. It finally pops off and I did not punch myself in the mouth. Okay. So I very carefully adjust the crescent wrench and I hold the motor still again 
very carefully, not over-tightening it, just enough to keep it still. And with the pliers, I tighten on that sprocket thing. And I go get the drum and the belt. I put on the drum and the belt. I put the pulley thing under there that holds the drum and the belt, and it holds the belt on the sprocket. I put it all together. I take the front. I put it on, right? I screw that down. It's ready. I'm going to test it. I turn the knob, and I push the button, and it's going really fast. And I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. I don't care. It can centrifugal force the moisture out of the clothes from now on. I don't care. We're replacing this stupid thing, right? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. So I just got whatever laundry there was to go in the dryer, and I shoved it in there, put a dryer sheet in, closed the door, slam, turned the timer to the setting, and I turned it on. I don't care. The clothing dried perfectly. I don't know what magic RPMs the dryer is now spinning at. I don't. But the dryer dried the clothes perfectly. I was so excited. I washed the sheets. The sheets have been taking me hours and hours cycles and cycles because they get balled up and one goes inside the other and then that gets balled up and I have to constantly untangle them and put them through again and again and again. They dried in one cycle. And the towels dried in one cycle. The clothes dried in one, the sheets dried in one the towels dried in one, and all I can think is, what's going to break this week? All right, thanks for listening to The Bitter's Pill. Uh, this has been episode, uh, I don't know what. Why did I even start saying that? I don't know. 382. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for downloading. Please tell a friend. And, and as always, this uh, podcast is made possible by uh, all of you, and especially the patrons at Patreon. Patrons like Edward Nothnagel, Armand Norelli, Dave Jackson, David Chase, and Gerard Cortinez, Flores, Harold Goldner, Jeff Short, uh... I don't know, Michael Saffold, Peter Chase, Rob Usden, Samantha Couture, uh, Sean Othan, who else? The Modulator. Have we been saying The Modulator wrong all these years? I think, I think that's true. And uh, many others. Uh, thank you all. If you want to be a patron, go to patreon.com. I think it might even be patreon.com slash class. I have no idea. Anyway. Listen, this is a very professional program. Please don't be shocked. Um, hopefully I'll talk to you next weekend. Uh, next weekend we're getting our new washer and dryer, so yeah, that'll be fun. We'll see how that goes. Anyway, listen, uh, thanks so much. 
and I will talk at you soon. Okay, bye. The Bitters Pill was produced by Jacket Media, makers of fine podcasts since 2004.